Hey, well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 1, and part of chapter 2 is where we'll be today. <clears throat> Leading up to next Sunday, um, we have just this incredible opportunity together as a church. Um, we have been praying and we have uh, been fasting together um, about the flooring in the rock and and um, the renovation there and, and that taking place. And, and we're doing that together as a family. And I know that um, there's oftentimes in, in, the, in the process of, of, of raising money in a church, you expect the pastor to get up and talk about money and just, y'all need to give, y'all need to give. That's not going to happen. And here's why. It's because the, the more that I prayed, the more that I sought the Lord on these messages, and the more that I sought Scripture, the more that I realized and saw that money is not the issue. It's our heart, oftentimes, that's the issue. And so we are going to walk with Nehemiah and what God does in him to show what God can do in us. And so in Nehemiah chapter 1, um, we, we see some things. We're going to see the need. We are going to see Nehemiah's response, and then ultimately we're going to see Nehemiah's act, what he does um, through all of this. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Um, what kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy are you leaving? I think sometimes we, we have kind of gotten this term legacy confused because Webster defines has two definitions for legacy. And I think that um, in our Western American culture, we tend to really focus on one type of, one definition of legacy over the other. Okay, the first definition of the word legacy is this, an amount of money or property left to someone. That's the first definition, amount of money or property left to someone. And I think that, that, and I think we'd all agree that a lot of times we focus on that type of legacy, don't we? How many of you in here who are older and wiser want to leave something to your kids? It's okay to admit it. Okay, yeah, you do. Like, you want to you leave something to your kids. You've worked hard. You want to do that, right? Nothing wrong with that. But the second definition is what I believe we're called to as believers. The long-lasting impact of particular events, actions that took place in the past or in a person's life. Your life and how you live it has a greater impact than the stuff you leave. So if that's where we are as believers and that's who we are to be as believers, we have to then ask, how are we living our life that's leaving that type of legacy? Leaving a legacy that points the next generation to Jesus. Leaving a legacy that points them and says, hey, in all of life, he's the one that sustained us, not our stuff. So Nehemiah chapter 1 it says this, starting in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, 
Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. We see the need right off the bat. Okay, give you some context of what's going on here. Um, Israel has been disobedient and God did what God promised. He dispersed them. Okay, and they are dispersed all over the place. In fact, we find Nehemiah in Susa to, in service to the king Artaxerxes, okay? And they're dispersed everywhere, but in, in the same way, okay, God promised that, but God also promised that he would always leave a remnant. He would leave a few. And that's what Nehemiah says. Hey, those few that escape that are still in Jerusalem, how are they? Okay? And so just some context here, so you know what's going on. Israel's been dispersed from, from, from being all together, and they're in exile in all these different places, but there's a remnant in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah knows that, and so he inquires about it. He inquires about how are they, and, and he says that this happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital. Chislev was... Um, their calendar would line up maybe November, December with us. So this is like November, December of the 20th year when Artaxerxes was king. And, and that's, that's significant when we get to chapter 2 in just a moment. So just keep that in mind, November, December. And so Nehemiah receives this report. And, and the need is the walls around Jerusalem to be rebuilt, the gates to be rebuilt, and for them to be protected. Okay, that's the need that's there. We're oftentimes presented with needs, right? As Oak Grove, we've come to you as a church and said, hey, here's some needs. We've got needs um, with missionaries, and and we've always met and exceeded those needs, right? We've done that. That's a beautiful thing, and man, I am so grateful for that. We always are presented with needs, and then we say, oh yeah, we can meet that need, let's do it, and we do it. It's incredible, right? But here's the deal, church. We don't ever know when those needs are coming, do we? Sometimes they just like out of the blue and like, oh, we have a need. And just like Timbrel, right? Timbrel had a need at, at, at UTA. And Mike called me and was like, hey, here's, here's a need. And I was like, let's meet with her. And boom, 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 right? We don't know where those needs are. But here's the thing. God does. God does. God always knows the needs. And, and here's the thing, is that even though we don't know them, it is our job to be prepared for them. You hear that? Even though we don't know the need, maybe right now, it is our job in these moments to prepare for when they do come. When God says, hey, O Grove, here you go. It is our job to prepare. And so, let's jump in. The response Okay, we've seen the need. We see now here's the response. Verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. 
When's the last time you wept and mourned over a need that God presented to you? Ooh. Like, well, I'm not a crier, Brady. Okay, well, that's okay. But listen, here's what Nehemiah is saying. His heart was so broken for the need that was presented him that he couldn't do anything but respond this way. It says that he wept and mourned for days. Why? Because his people, God's people, were, had been dispersed everywhere because of their disobedience. And, and, and those that were left were unprotected. And God's city had been destroyed. So what is he mourning and weeping over? He's mourning and weeping over the sin of God's people that led them to destruction and disbursement. That's what he's weeping over. He's weeping and mourning over that. When's the last time we've wept and mourned over our own sin, much less the sin of our country? which is rampant at the moment, in case you weren't aware. He said he wept and he mourned for days. And then he does this. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That, that Nehemiah's response, when a need is presented, his first response is to go to the God of heaven. When, when, when something comes into your life, what's your first response? Is it to go get advice from somebody else? Is it go call your friend, go, hey, this is going on, I need, I need some advice. It, what is your first response? So Nehemiah's first response is, I'm going to pray to the God of heaven. This is why you have markers, because pages flip. Then listen to what he says. And I said... O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're dispersed, be under the farthest skies. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah prayed. But what did Nehemiah pray? 
And what does all that have to do with us? There's three things that I think are foundational in what Nehemiah prays. First, Nehemiah prayed according to what God had already done. You know that Nehemiah would have known the first five books of the Old Testament by heart. He would have heard all these stories of God's faithfulness and who he was. And so Nehemiah's first part of his prayer is he prays according to what God has done. Listen, he says, O Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God who does what? Keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is who he is. This is what he's done. He's faithful. And God, you keep your commandments. So he prays according to what God has done. He also prays according to God's character. What does he know to be true about about God? That he's faithful, right? That he is true to his covenant. And that, that also, listen, that let your ear be attentive and your eyes to open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people which would which we have sinned against you. Just remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you were unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you will return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your dispersed be under the farthest skies, I will gather them there and bring them to the place that I have chosen. He prays according to God's character. He knows he's faithful. He knows that he's, he's, he's going to hold true to his covenant. And he prays these things about who God is, right? But he also does this. He prays according to God's promises. Not only his character, but to God's promises. Right? God, you promised to do this. And so here I am before you praying confessing the sins of Israel, but not only the sins of Israel, what does he do? He says, my father and my house have sinned against you. And he prays according to these things. Well, here's the thing that I, I see in, in Nehemiah's life as he prays and as, as we get into the next little part in chapter two. Um, Nehemiah's response and the way that he prays and the things that he prays tells us some things about Nehemiah that need to be true of us as believers. Nehemiah practiced spiritual disciplines. He had to. In order, in order to know and to pray in this manner, Nehemiah had to practice spiritual disciplines. And, and, and it's, listen, some of you out there are going, I have no idea what a spiritual discipline is. And that's okay, because I'm about to tell you. I'm going to give you a list of some spiritual disciplines, okay? Some of you are like, hey, I know some of them. Okay, great, okay? But listen, I, I, I don't want us to um, put spiritual disciplines in this nice little tidy wrapped up box, okay? Because they're not that. Spiritual disciplines can be really anything, okay? Anything that is an effort to create space for God to act. A spiritual discipline is anything that, that is an effort to create a space for God to act and move in your life. That's what a spiritual discipline is. Look, this, this Friday, I, I, I stood in a river thigh deep with a fly fishing pole in my hand. And I fished 
and the trout were biting and it was fun but it was calm and it was peaceful and it was just me the Lord and that river moving and he worked on my heart because there was a space for God to move and for God to act it's a spiritual discipline don't all leave next week and go fly fishing I'm just saying but listen spiritual disciplines Um, there's this great little book I'm going to introduce it to you this morning it's called Celebration of Discipline by a guy named Richard Foster Um, And it's a great little book if you're like, hey, I don't know what a spiritual discipline is. I need to know. Um, This is a fantastic book to start you with. Um, It explains some of these that I'm going to um, tell you this morning in incredible detail, okay? And so um, great little book, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. We'll throw that up on social media this week um, so you know exactly what it is. But let's look at some spiritual disciplines for us that I believe that... um, caused and and allowed Nehemiah to pray these things and respond this way is that we have some inward disciplines okay these inward disciplines are fasting okay and you're like well Brady I don't do the whole fasting thing I gotta eat right fasting can be anything fasting is simply you taking a break for something from something that, that 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 takes a lot of time out of your life it can be fasting from a phone it can be fasting from the internet it can be fasting from anything that takes a lot of time from your life and saying hey i'm going to give that time to the lord okay that's what fasting is i'm giving time and space for the lord to act and move okay prayer inward inward practice of prayer of 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 carving out time every day to just spend time with the lord talking to him that can be on a drive to work. That can be on a drive home. That can be at night. That can be in the morning. That can be any time. But you're continually practicing the art of prayer, of speaking to the Lord, okay? Meditation. You're like, whoa, 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 okay? Come out. Meditation is just thinking on the things of God, right? Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is just, think about these things. Why? Because the Lord wants us to think and to process these things. That's what meditation is. It's just stopping. How many of you like like hustle bustle? You feel like you're going all the time, like you're tagging your spouse and like, hey, you're it, you know? How many of you feel that way sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. The rest of you are not telling the truth, right? We all do. We all feel that way, right? Meditation means that we take time just to think about the things of the Lord, right? For you parents of little ones, this is probably going to be before they get up or after they go to bed. Like where they go to bed, not like the first initial, like go to bed, and then they come out, and then they go to bed, and then they come out, and then they go to bed, and then they come out. Like that's, that's, a, that's like a cycle like 17 times in our house, okay? But but after they're really asleep, to just stop and meditate on what the Lord has done that day. But study, an inward discipline of study. Um, when's the last time you opened up God's Word and just, just sat and read it and studied? Nehemiah would have done these things. The reason Nehemiah prayed this way is because he was disciplined in these things. 
that, that he would fast and he would pray. He says he fasted and he prays and he meditating on the word of the Lord. He would have studied and known God's word because it was recorded and he knew God's faithfulness because of God's word. Guess what? You want to know the character and nature of God? You want to, you want to be able to say he's faithful? It's right here. Story after story after story proves his faithfulness. Study the word. So we have some inward disciplines. All right, next we've got some outward disciplines. Solitude. All right, solitude. Let's talk about that. I know you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, solitude is us just getting away and unplugging from everything. You're like, Brady, you know how hard that is? Yes, I am fully aware of how hard it is. But listen, when you begin to practice this, there's some breath that's taken in the rest of life. Okay? There's some, there's some breathing room. When you get away and you just say, okay, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to be still before the Lord. And you don't talk. You just shut your brain off. I know it's hard. To just be alone with the Lord. It's an hour discipline on solitude. Next one, submission. Um, submission. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is just every day, daily standing before the Lord, looking in a mirror if you have to, and say, Lord, I'm yours today. I don't belong to the world. I don't belong to all the schedule that I have. I'm yours today. In the midst of all that's going on in my life today, Father, I want to say I am yours. Use me. That's what submission looks like. And then the, the next one is service. You struggle with like just life and, and going, 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 going. Take, take a break sometimes and go serve somebody. Just go serve. We have opportunities all the time for you to serve. You want to you want to just get some get some energy, go with us to beautiful feet, and serve. Serve the homeless, just serve. Go do something for someone for free. Just serve someone, and it will re-energize who you are. But make it a habit. But that's just your heart. That's just what you do. There's some outward disciplines. There's also some corporate disciplines. Corporate disciplines. Um, let's hit on confession first. Um, confession, corporate di disciplines of confession that we um, get together and we confess our sins before one another. Now, I'm not asking you to stand on stage and confess all your sins to the whole church. That's all I'm talking about. But who do you have in your life that you can say, hey, I just, I just, need, to, I just need to talk to you um, and confess to you some things that I'm struggling with and I need prayer. I need you to walk with me, right? There's a group of men meeting on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock in the office. If you don't have, if you don't have somewhere where you can go, that's a group of men that you can go and you can sit down with every week and you can confess your sins and ask them to pray for you and hold you accountable, and they will. Ladies, you have Bible study. Two different times offered this, this week. You have an opportunity to go sit down with ladies to be in God's word together, to confess some sins together. 
with no judgment. With no judgment because we all fail. That's the biggest, that's the biggest thing about confession is that our pride gets in the way of saying, hey, I didn't measure up. It's okay, nobody else did either. Just get it off your chest. Confess your sin. But it's a corporate act. It's also worship that we gather together, right? To corporately, worship is, is an act of all kinds of things, right? I tell people all the time, worship is, is anything that stirs your affection for the Lord. So, so what is it that you do that stirs your affection for the Lord? Don't mistake worship for just singing songs because that's not what it is. Is it part of it? Absolutely. It's an act of worship. But so is giving. So is opening up God's word. What stirs your affection for Jesus? That's an act of worship. We just happen to do that every Sunday together as a body of believers corporately gathered in this place. And we participate in acts of worship. Guidance. What is guidance? Well, as we go before the Lord, what the Lord has told us in his word is that there are people in our life that we can go to. There are people in our life that we can um, have guidance from. That the Lord has put us in this place to do it together. Stop trying to do it on your own. You were not meant to do it by yourself. There are people that are around you that want to love you and want to point you in the direction of Jesus. That's what guidance is. And then the last one we see up there is celebration. Is that on a regular basis we're celebrating who God is. As Nehemiah said, he is the awesome God. He is mighty. He is faithful to his covenant and is to his promises. That we're celebrating those things, church. That on a daily look, these are all spiritual disciplines. You know what the word discipline means? <laughs> right? It means it ain't going to be easy. That these are things that, that as soon as we begin to practice them, the enemy's going to attack. The enemy's going to come in. But these are disciplines in which we on a regular basis practice. Because here's the deal. Nehemiah was already doing this before the need ever arose. So when the need arose, Nehemiah's response is, man, this is who God is. I believe that he will do it because he is faithful to his covenant. He knew God so well. His life was so in tune with the Lord that he knew that even though this need seemed astronomical, he had put himself and submitted himself before the Lord in the spiritual disciplines so that when, when the response time came, Nehemiah was like, God, this is who you are. And you have said if we confess our sins, it doesn't matter how far we are, you'll bring us back. He knew the Lord. And so the question for us is, as we move into um, facing a need as a church, 
first and foremost, I'm not worried about your wallets because the Lord owns it all anyway. What I'm most concerned with is your heart. What is your relationship before the Lord? Are you practicing the disciplines? Are you coming before the Lord and submitting yourself and saying, look, I am going to practice these things. I'm going to study his word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to submit. I'm going to fast. Because listen to me, the legacy that you leave your children, it matters more than the stuff you leave them. If they know mom and dad, dig into the word of God. Guess what they will do? They will dig in to the word of God. If, your, if, if you parents, grandparents, if, if, if your kids and your grandkids know that first and foremost, your relationship with the Lord is priority, guess what they are more apt to do? Make that a priority for themselves. That's the reality. Does it always work that way? No. But more times than not, it does. Nehemiah goes on. He says he's the cupbearer to the king. Well, what does that mean? Cupbearer to the king means this, is that he was anything that went to the king's lips, be it wine, be it food, be it whatever, first passed through Nehemiah. He had to taste it. He had to eat it before it ever got to the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So that's, that's Nehemiah. He's a incredibly important person in the life of the king. Okay? Nehemiah knows that four years prior to this, Artaxerxes had halted the rebuilding of the wall in Israel. And so when he prays at the end of here, he says, grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He knows that, 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 that what's coming and the ask that he's going to have of Artaxerxes could go really south for him. Okay? But listen to what happens in chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Now let's stop there. So Nehemiah is before the king. It's the month of Nisan, which is about March, April. So we've had about four months time frame from when Nehemiah first prays before the Lord. He finds out the need, he prays before the Lord, and, and Nehemiah continues, right? He continues to prepare. He continues to submit himself to the Lord. We're gonna see that in just a minute. But he's before the king, and, and, and his countenance seems sad. And the king asks him, and he said, and I was very much afraid. Like, he was frightened. Why was he frightened? Because if the cupbearer to the king is sad, red flag, red flag, right? Why is the guy feeding me wine upset? Is this about to go really south for me? Like, think about that, right? 
And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Nehemiah's plea to go, hey, this is not about you. (laughs) I want you to know you're good. I got you, buddy. We're okay. Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then this king said to me, what are you requesting? The moment of truth, right? Four months later. So what's Nehemiah's first response? So I prayed to the God of heaven. The king says, what is your request? And Nehemiah said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And these words got to be right. These words got to be perfect. These words, and they cannot come from me. Right? His reliance on the Lord is, in, it's immeasurable here. Listen to what happens. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I, have, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given, to, be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. So Nehemiah asked the king, right? He asked the king for something. But here's the crazy thing. Nehemiah just didn't go, hey, could, could I go rebuild the walls? No. No, because I fully believe and trust because of Nehemiah's discipline and submission before the Lord. The Lord had revealed to Nehemiah, hey, you're going to ask these things specifically. Because guess what? Our God is a God of the details. And he didn't just send Nehemiah before King Artaxerxes and say, hey, go ask him if you can rebuild the wall. No, because Nehemiah's time with the Lord, he would have gotten this word from the Lord, hey, you're going to ask for for, to, to go rebuild the wall and you're going to ask that, that you get letters to every per ruler in the area so that they know that Artaxerxes has signed off on this and by the way you're going to ask for a letter to King Asaph who controls all the lumber so that you get exactly what you need to not only rebuild the wall Nehemiah but also rebuild the home in which I'm going to build for you to live there You see, because here's the thing, is that in our lives, there's needs that come up. But church, if we're not prepared to move when the Lord presents the need, because we haven't spent time with Him, then we miss the need. Oftentimes we miss what the Lord puts in front of us to act on because we haven't first been with him because here's the thing when I discipline myself before the Lord and I spend my time with him and I get my heart right with him 
when I leave that time, my eyes are open to what he's doing. And I'm more sensitive to what he's doing. But when I'm not disciplined here, and I walk away, and I get up, and I just do my thing, I miss what he's doing. And get caught up in all the things that are not going right for me in my schedule, don't I? That's what happens. And so all of that, it's a lot, I know. Like, man, Brady, would you stop talking? Look, here's the deal. It's a lot, I know. But what I know to be true is this. When we spend time with the Lord and we prepare our hearts before the Lord, when when a need arises, our eyes are open to it and we say, God, whatever you want. Because at the beginning of today, I stood before you and said, my life is yours. My life is yours. Do with it what you want. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, God. Father, pray that as as we think about the legacies that we are leaving, Father, to our kids and to our grandkids and maybe even to our great-grandkids. Father, that um, you would would use us. Father, that you would, um, in incredible ways, Father, transform us in our disciplines to you, Father. To seek after you, Father, to, to spend time with you, knowing and trusting that you're continually working and moving. Father, and then when we walk away from our time with you, our eyes are open to what you're doing. Father, we love you. And we ask just even in these moments that you would move. It's in your name we pray. Amen.